Hello, and a big welcome to Series 4 of the Wanderlust Off The Page podcast. Series 4 already. That time has flown by. It really has, hasn't it? In the previous three series, we've taken you all over the world with episodes on Easter Island, Austria, Morocco, Vietnam, South Georgia, Australia, so many more places. But Rosie, what can we expect from Series 4? So for Series 4, we will continue to take you behind the scenes of your favourite travel articles, bringing you closer to destinations from all over the world. So we've got Louisiana lined up, Croatia, Diria and Tobago, to name a few of those places that we'll be covering. But we'll be kicking things off with our Hot List episode. Myself, Rosie and George will be sharing some of our favourite places from the 2023 Wanderlust Hot List with Aaron Miller. And oh gosh, it was hard to choose that list. It really was a really difficult one to decide on, but we got there in the end, didn't we? So let's get started with the show, shall we? George, Lynn, Rosie, welcome to the show. Welcome to your show. You guys don't always get to sit that side of the microphone. So this is going to be fun. And this is a really special episode. This is one of my favorite episodes of the year. Not just because this is the first episode of 2023. We're kicking off our entire season, our entire year today, but also because it is the hot list. This is the episode where you guys get all the tips and adventure inspiration you need for the year. The hot list 2023 is chosen by you guys, by the entire editorial team at Wanderlust. So some fantastic suggestions coming up, but it's even more special this year than any other year because Wanderlust are celebrating 30 years of being the number one independent travel magazine in the UK. Lynn, Lynn Hughes, founder, founding editor. Congratulations. What a ride. Have you got some memories from the last 30 years that uh, stand out? <laughs> One or two, right? <laughs> we would be here for hours if I uh, got talking about all those memories. And uh, I've certainly got the grey hairs to show for it. But it's been a wonderful 30 years. And incredibly, we do still have readers to the magazine who've been with us from day one. But we've also got, um, in recent times, thousands and thousands of new followers as well, who are just discovering us for the first time and whether through the podcast, the magazine or our website. So that just gives me joy because it might be 30 years, but well, here's to the next 30 years. Well, that's right. And I was going to come to you, George, next. Of course, you're the CEO and editor-in-chief now of Wanderlust and the man steering the ship. What I would like to say is that obviously in the past 30 years, Wanderlust has changed in so many ways, but in so many other ways it hasn't. You know, we're still very true and loyal to the founding principles that our own Lynn and uh, the late Paul Morrison as well set up the business with. So whether we're telling stories through virtual reality headsets or through the traditional magazine, Little has changed of the essence of Wanderlust, which really is the best travel magazine that inspires and informs people's travels. The stories that we say, that the stories that we want to say are the very foundation of what we do at Wanderlust. Yeah, I love that. It does all come down to the stories and the storytelling. And that's something that you guys do so well, irrespective of the medium. But I think the next 30 years with you at the helm, George, is going to be really exciting as well. And I look forward to all the different ways and new mediums that you guys are going to be sharing the world with uh, your readers and listeners and 
virtual reality experiencers and, and all the rest. So we're going to come to each one of you guys and get you to pick out one of your top tips from the 30 that you shared in the hot list for this year. But George, let me come to you first. And we're going to start with somewhere that I think is probably on the bucket list of a lot of Wanderlust readers if they haven't been there already. You're going to be sharing with us some stories about Australia, but not just any old Australia, perhaps the most important part of Australia of all, of course, Indigenous Australia and the Aboriginal culture. And we're going to start with you reading a short extract from one of your articles. Just a two and a half hour drive from Darwin, I reached the limits of Kakadu, the second largest national park in Australia and one of few UNESCO World Heritage Sites inscribed for both its natural and cultural significance. I woke up early for a sunrise cruise along the yellow water billabong, Kakadu's most accessible wetland and part of the South Alligator River system. The tour is Aboriginal owned and run and our guide and captain, Mandy Moore, welcomed us on board with a cheery introduction. Torrential rain the night before had lent a vibrant green hue to the vegetation. We rode past imposing pandanus palms and bright purple lotus lilies overflown by myriad birds. Almost 60 species of flying beauties are found just here. In total, the biodiversity of the larger Kakadu area is remarkable. It contains nearly all the flora and fauna that existed in Australia before the arrival of the Europeans, as well as dozens of endemic species, such as the black wallaroo. Our clan is very rich, explained Mandy. Not because of money, but because of the wealth of bush food we can find in the area. This land is our garden, our kitchen, our pharmacy, our bedroom and our meeting room. She pointed out the various plants and fruits that are foraged for treating different elements and highlighted the ones worth eating, such as the very tasty kakadu plum. Each one of the six seasons comes with its own little food gifts, she told me, explaining that the Aboriginal calendar is based on the position of stars in the sky, as well as animal, plant and water cycles. George, thank you. That sounds like an incredible adventure. That's the part of Australia that I've always wanted to experience. I'm absolutely fascinated by the Aboriginal culture. It's such a beautiful culture. And of course, one of the oldest cultures in the world. Why did you choose Australia and particularly Indigenous Australia for this year's hot list? I think there is a fantastic debate that is happening at the moment around the position of Aboriginal Australians in society, but also in recognising their know-how, their contribution, their art in Australia. And I have visited Australia many times before, and I was always fascinated, but never really understood what it meant to be an Aboriginal Australian. You know, I knew all the sound bites, like, you know, the didgeridoo, the sounds of the didgeridoo. I had heard of the dreaming stories, and I had seen images of the uh, dot paintings, you know, the beautiful art that's very unique, very distinctive. But I didn't quite understand what is this culture that goes by 65,000 years, one of the oldest continuous civilizations on the planet. And, you know, when you do travel to major Australian cities, it's perhaps harder you know, to engage with Aboriginal Australians. So I picked the Northern Territory because uniquely around 30% of its population is Aboriginal. And it's also an incredible place to really understand the connection that Aboriginal Australians have to country or the land 
It's, uh, you know, what we would call, we Westerners would call an animistic connection. And that is very hard for us to understand the immediacy, the love that they feel for nature, the fact that they are so dependent on it. And Australia, obviously, is one of the world's most beautiful countries uh, with hugely diverse landscapes, with incredible, incredible area, uh, variety of flora and fauna. And I feel now is the best time to go and make sure that you understand why there is also a need for an Aboriginal voice in Australian politics, if you like, a stronger voice, and understand why this culture of 65,000 years old will help you understand better the connections that we as humans should have with nature rather than the one that we currently have. So it's a life-changing experience, getting a perspective from people that have survived and thrived for thousands of years before the European arrival. It's amazing, isn't it? 65,000 years, you know, one of the oldest continuous civilizations in the world. It's utterly inspiring just to spend time with them, George. And as you say, to hear those stories and kind of feel that connection to nature must have must have been incredibly inspiring for you. Absolutely. And of course, Australia is celebrating for many different reasons as well this year. Sydney is an incredible location to go to, Aaron. And there are a lot of ways to experience Aboriginal culture in Sydney. Not least, you can do the bridge climb now with an Aboriginal from the Sydney area and find out all those stories. Oh, wow. It's a unique experience. You know, you can combine one of the uh, sort of very typical, uh, if you like, visitor experiences in Sydney, one of the must-dos, if you like, for many visitors to Australia, which is climbing the iconic Harbour Bridge. But to do so with the experience, the knowledge and the stories of an Aboriginal elder is just incredible. So, again, Sydney is a, is a place to be this year. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Opera House. Again, a fantastic program of events, many of them highlighting Aboriginal artists, dancers, musicians. So really good opportunity for a visitor to immerse themselves in Aboriginal culture at probably the most beautiful opera house in the world, <laughs> with, uh, you know, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And there's a lot going on uh, in Sydney as well. The modern, the Sydney modern wing of the Art Gallery of New South Wales opened. And I can spend the next hour, Aaron, sharing with you all the cool things happening all around Australia. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in my heart, it is very much a place you should be prioritizing in this special year. Yeah, absolutely. Sydney, one of the great cities of the world. And to combine that with this authentic Aboriginal experience is very special indeed. And Tourism Australia is also really supporting this effort to connect tourists with authentic Aboriginal experiences in ways that really benefit those communities too, which is fantastic. Can you pick out some other highlights, other Indigenous experiences around the country that people can enjoy? Um, absolutely. And you know, wherever you are, there are many Aboriginal-owned and operated businesses now in travel and tourism. So you should seek out for them. A good way to start is Discover Aboriginal Experiences, a dedicated website by Tourism Australia. And that gives you a very good overview of what you can do in different states for you to immerse yourself in Aboriginal art and culture and history and traditions. It's often the case of just seeing the world through their eyes. For example, you can do a stargazing experience, particularly in Central Australia, where you can have an Aboriginal, you know, if you can, of course, organize to, to go out with a traditional elder, you can hear the stories of how the Aboriginals look at the world, the galaxy. They have a very advanced understanding of astronomy and astrology, I would say. And some of the stories are so beautiful the myths, the legends, and you know, to see the Milky Way from Central Australia, if you're lucky, is just one of these 
moments when you will really feel the beauty of the cosmos surround you. Again, you can do many other things. You can try dot painting that I mentioned at the beginning. You can understand that these incredibly cool-looking paintings that seem to fit in every lounge all around the world actually have stories written in them. So you can try and read some of these stories and understand some of these stories. You can have a guide that explains the different flora and fauna and their meaning to the Aboriginal Australians. And that, again, is a different view, if you like, from what you would get from a naturalist guide. And again, the food, the flavors of Aboriginal boost foods are just so different to what we are used to, to what our palate is used to. Bold flavors that are, again, the novelty of trying food that has been you know, part of the food cycle for the last 60,000 years, and yet you've never had it. It's quite extraordinary. So I think visitors to Australia will be very surprised to discover a layer of, uh, if you allow the expression, exoticism that you might not have thought existed in the country. And I'm not talking about the gorgeous beaches of tropical North Queensland. I'm talking about interacting and understanding a civilization that for the last six millennia has really made the most of this incredible land. And listeners can also check out a previous episode, Ecotourism and Aboriginal Culture in New South Wales, for some other great ideas. We go to Tanja Lagoon Camp on the Sapphire Coast and Wajana Yam Adventure Tours in Gubernagar County, which is run by the Gubernagar people. That's a really, really interesting and fantastic episode. So lots of uh, great suggestions there. Thank you, George. Amazing. Australia is actually somewhere I haven't been, shamefully, but this is the way that I would like to see it. So thank you so much for both those tips. Sydney, one of your top cities on the hot list, and Australia, one of your top countries, of course, as well. Okay, so from Australia, we're going to come over to you, Rosie, and we're going to talk about a really interesting choice here. It's a city that I actually don't know anything about in Europe, a country I know very little about. It's under most people's radar, which is exactly what Wanderlust is all about. And that is Tallinn. Why did you choose Tallinn? So yes, this was a real favourite of mine that I went to in 2022. It is Tallinn, the capital city of Estonia. So I was lucky enough to visit Tallinn back in May and it really is just the most surprising and, and wonderful place. I absolutely loved it. I'd recommend it to everybody. So the reason Tallinn is on our hot list this year is because it's been named the European Green Capital for 2023. And it really does have some super ambitious aims, things like including like the launch of a carbon neutral bus system in 2035 and achieving net zero emissions by 2050. But I think it's a place where you can really feel and see the ambition and the importance here of protecting the environment. One of my favourite things I noticed while I was there, which is quite strange to get used to, is they've got all these little kind of robots whizzing down the streets. (laughs) Uh, So you just see them. I'm like, what are these about? What are these robots doing? And it turns out they're delivery drivers. So instead of having a moped or a car deliver your takeaways, you've got these little robots that bring your takeaway to you. That is crazy. I, I mean, it's Because incredible. you wouldn't imagine Tallinn, <laughs> Estonia to be at the forefront of like, that's something you would see in Tokyo, I would imagine, not in Tallinn, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's just the whole city. Tallinn in particular has this really incredible um, creative vibe. Everyone there's like super friendly, super ambitious, lots of really young business people there. I think worth mentioning the food as well. So while I was there, 
Estonia received its Michelin guide, its first ever Michelin guide. And as part of that, a few of its restaurants got given green stars that recognize their kind of zero waste approach. So I was lucky enough to go to Photographiska restaurant, which is on top, a rooftop restaurant on top of the Photographiska Museum. And the food there really is just some of the best I had. The ingredients are just so local and fresh. Uh, really, really great vegetarian option. So yeah, even their food is green there. So that that's incredible to see. And I guess another thing about Tallinn is it just lends itself so easy to exploring in the most eco-friendly way, which is by foot. And you literally can walk everywhere. Obviously, it's famous for its historic old town, uh, which is UNESCO listed. So I did just spend hours kind of walking around there, soaking up its medieval buildings and then from there, you can climb to the top of Tompey Hill. And that's when you get this view over the old town skyline, which is just incredible. And you can see for yourself just how green Tallinn is. So it is Tallinn itself that's on our hot list. But I think if you're going, make sure you see the wider country as well. And you really don't need to go far outside of the city to really get lost in this nature. I think you can basically get from one end of the country to the other in as little as two hours by car. So it really is easy to get out and explore this country. So while I was there, I went to Lehemna National Park, which is not far outside of the capital at all, and did a bit of bog walking. Uh, so we hiked the Viru Bog, which is lovely. It's got this kind of really accessible boardwalk. It's even got um, a viewing tower, which is w- wheelchair accessible. So you can climb up there as well. And it's just a lovely place, you know, to, to soak up that bog scenery. It's great for bird watching. So I'd, I'd definitely recommend that. Bog walking. You're going to have to like delve into that a little bit more for people that aren't familiar with what bog walking is, because it is actually really beautiful, but it's kind of branded itself maybe in, in not the most ideal way. So what, what is bog walking? Yeah, no. And I think in Estonia, they love it there. There's, there's many um, bogs you can choose from. So it is just these incredibly kind of flat landscapes where you can just see, you know, these trees growing and you've got these beautiful kind of pools of, of water. And it's just like this really interesting natural environment there. And then what you can actually do, I stuck to the boardwalk, (laughs) but what you can do if you're feeling more adventurous is kind of put on almost like snowshoes, but for bog walking and and kind of get out in the kind of swampy bits and um, try not to sink there as well. But you need a guide to do that. (laughs) Otherwise you will sink. I mean, it sounds kind of grim bog walking, but it is, is beautiful and a real kind of nature experience and something you must do in Estonia. It's a real icon of Estonia. I want a snowshoe on a bog. That sounds really fun. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, apart from the box, Estonia is known, fittingly enough, for the Green City 2023, for its green spaces in general. It's known for its amazing forests. Did you uh, head out to any national parks or anything like that while you were there? Just that one, just Lehemna National Park. But there are so many, I think, as well. In, in other parts of the country, you can go and you can even see bears still in Estonia at the right time of year. Wolves as well is a real kind of superstitious animal um, for people in Estonia. I think they kind of don't even really like using the word wolf, but you can see wolves there. I did get a chance. I stayed in an OED mirror house, which is kind of what it sounds like. It's just this beautiful kind of glass box, essentially, stuck in the middle of a forest. That was right on the beach. And all the windows are open on, on all sides. So you kind of fall asleep to the sounds and the sights of nature. You wake up surrounded by nature. So that really was just an incredible way to, to get back to nature, really. So all the outside is mirrors, really. That must look unbelievable. Yeah, you've got to look them up. The pictures are amazing. And as you're kind of going towards them, you, it's almost like a mirage. You can't really see them because they're kind of 
reflecting back the forest around them so it really is just this you know really enchanting way uh, to experience nature in estonia amazing estonia sounds incredible as a country and like what a great base like you said it's easy to get around and it's pretty affordable too which is obviously really important for a lot of people right now yeah really affordable even the food like i said some of those restaurants in Tallinn. i mean you can get to these top restaurants you can kind of get their tasting menus for as little as like 50 dollars per person which is like eight courses and like i said the food really is very very special there and it just goes back to this kind of creative vibe they have lots of art lots of like young people doing incredible things so lots of kind of small businesses to look out for whether they're restaurants whether they're creative chefs um there's loads of kind of street murals and art to see so i think getting caught up in that kind of creative scene including the food as well is is a great way to see Tallinn. amazing tip amazing tip thank you rosie enjoy our podcast series and the stories that we bring to you then do remember to head over to wanderlustmagazine.com for heaps more travel inspiration and of course if you don't already then do make sure you subscribe to our print magazine we offer our members six beautiful issues a year each packed with awe inspiring stories about off the beaten track destinations and authentic travel experiences and you can become a club member today for just £35 a year. That's about 50 bucks. Not only will this get you the print issue, but exclusive competitions, events, offers, and so much more. So head to shop.wanderlust.co.uk now to subscribe, or head to wanderlustmagazine.com and hit the subscribe button. All right, Lynn, I'm coming over to you now and your pick for the hot list. We're going to go all the way over to South America. We've really covered the globe actually here. We've gone Australia, Europe, and now we're going to South America and a country that probably is in top of people's lists when they think of where they want to go to in South America, but it's becoming way more accessible. And you're going to start by reading us a passage about it taken from one of your articles. You're going to take us to Guyana. We heard them before we saw them. Strange chattering, barks and snuffling noises that I couldn't place as I scanned the bird-rich waters of the lake that surrounded us. For a moment, I thought back to the stories I'd been told of the spirits that are found in Guyana's lakes and forests. Then we saw the bobbing heads of a family of giant river otters peering at us, shouting indignantly as if questioning our presence. Behind them, five black caiman were crossing the lake in a flotilla. Herons and egrets flanked the shallows and banks, while jacanas padded across floating vegetation. The high branches of the trees surrounding the lake were alive with yet more birds, as well as three different species of monkey, about three dozen in all. Down below them, eagle-eyed kingfishers scanned the waters intently, before dive-bombing for fish, and I marvelled that I'd never seen such a concentration of wildlife before. Indeed, it was so prolific that it was hard to know where to look next. Beautiful writing. Thank you, Lynn. And I know that you are a huge wildlife fan. I know that's one of the big reasons you travel, and Guyana is just teeming with it, isn't it? Guyana is uh, 
sometimes known as Land of the Giants, and I very soon found out why there. Uh, most of that, not all, but most of it is because of the wildlife. And so they have giant river otters that I mentioned in that piece. And that was my very first sighting of giant river otters. So incredibly exciting. And they have giant anteaters, which are one of the most amazing animals on the planet. It's like when you see your first giraffe, you can't quite understand how they move. It's like there's something from outer space. <laughs> giant anteaters are like that as well. You look at them perplexed, thinking, how, you know, what are they? I can't quite make them out. <laughs> so they're extraordinary. They have um, giant spiders. Now they, uh, they have a particular spider called the Goliath bird-eating spider. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> Fortunately, you have to you have to know where they are and go looking for them. They're not going to turn up in your bedroom, but um, they are extraordinary. They also have what is possibly the largest fish in the world. Uh, they have the largest raptor, the harpy eagle, that you find in South America. And so they do have all these giant animals, as well as some of the smallest animals, it's got to be said. You know, they have tiny, tiny, tiny little frogs and things, which are absolutely minute, the size of your fingernail. So it's extraordinary. So a real wildlife lover's paradise, lots to see, lots to hear, because, of course, you don't always see these animals, because about 87% of Guyana is covered in forest and it really is still covered in forest. I know we see these awful images of other parts of South America where the forest has been destroyed or is being destroyed. There in Guyana, they have protected that forest. And so you do just get this massive, massive sea of forest and no roads. There is just one main road that goes through the interior. So to get around, you have to go by river launch, typically, or by an internal flight. And so it's often when you're out on the water, either going along the waterways, the rivers, or as I was there, if you go to a lake and go out on a boat onto the lake, that is when you see the wildlife, because obviously it'll be around the water edge. Whereas when you're thick in the jungle, if you like, it is, uh, it is so thick that you really do have to be with a, a very special guide to see the wildlife. But I think that's one of the big appeals of Guyana is that it is so unspoiled and that you really do feel like a, a bit of an explorer, that you've gone back in time to head off, you know, by boat <laughs> into the interior and there it is, you know, pristine. And most of the places where you can stay in the interior are community-owned lodges. And so you are meeting people from local communities as well and finding out about their lives. And so it really is extraordinary, yes. I always feel like there's a different feeling about a place that's truly untouched. Like that's always been untouched. It's always been wild. It's somewhere that there just hasn't been that human imprint yet. It's, there's a different feeling about that, isn't there? There really is. And so you do feel very privileged when you're there. For me, who, who have traveled, I've been lucky enough to travel in so many places in the world, including so many wild places. But this really did feel special. I, I didn't mind the fact that staying at a lodge, it might not have Wi-Fi <laughs> or 
or you know they, they, I'd have to kind of go and ask to use it you know in the office or something because that's the whole point that you are out in the back of beyond that you see very few other people and that the people you do see do tend to be people from the local communities and you get a fascinating insight into their lives because just in their lifetime sometimes so much has changed and I stayed in a village that had only recently received electricity, electric light. Before that it, it was candles and lamps. It had only just, you know, built its first little guest house to welcome people. So it does feel very untapped and unspoilt and special. And it was definitely a privilege to be there. I said it was called Land of the Giants. And one of the giant things that it does have is the world's biggest single drop waterfall by volume of water, Kaitor Falls. Oh, this is something I've wanted to see for so long. It's a wonder of the world, isn't it? It really is a wonder of the world. And I remember when I got my first glimpse of the falls and you take a small plane from the capital, Georgetown, and it's a fairly short flight. It, the flights can only go if the weather's good enough. And you land and you're basically on a tapui, one of those flat-topped mountains, which has got its own biosphere up there. We looked around at this extraordinary, um, almost prehistoric vegetation. So, for instance, we found a little frog and it's a new species to science. It had only been discovered about three years previously. Wow. And we saw these wonderful birds, the Kayan and Cock of the Rocks. They're a bright orange colour. And we saw some of those putting on a bit of a display, you know, the males trying to uh, dance around and cavort to attract a female. So all these things happened in the half hour or hour that we were waiting for the only other tourists there to leave. And they left. So then we went to find the falls. And the guide with me took me up through some bushes, you know, kind of onto a rock where I'd get a, a viewpoint of the falls. And I've got to say, when I saw them, tears just came to my eyes, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It was one of those moments where you think, wow, you know, this is even better than I anticipated it was going to be. This really is extraordinary. So, yes, it's a magnificent waterfall and all the better for the fact that there are so few people there. It's only got simple accommodation there at the moment. You can arrange to stay, but it's very, very simple accommodation. There is a new eco-lodge going to be built there. Um, so there will be somewhere to stay in a couple of years. But we were fortunate enough to be staying the night and to be there at, first of all, sunset, when all the swallows and the swifts were flying around under the mist of the um, falls. You know, we were looking down on these birds. So that was extraordinary. And then to be there for sunrise as well the next morning, just standing there knowing that with the exception of obviously local communities, local people, that there was nobody around for a <laughs> hundred miles. All you could hear was the sound of the falls and of birds. Yeah, it was spine tingling. You know, I know it's not a competition and everyone. there's amazing ideas from everyone, but between me and you, Lynn, 
I think you won. I think that's <laughs> that's the one I would go to more than any other. That just sounds so incredibly magical. And I always seek out waterfalls actually because there's a beauty and there's a kind of peacefulness to it, but there's also just such power and energy. It just gives you a special, special feeling. And this feels like, you know, one of the most special waterfalls in the world. But there's also, you know, apart from the nature, you're obviously going to land in the capital of Georgetown, which is known as the Garden City of the Caribbean, which sounds like just such an intriguing place. What, what was that like? Georgetown is actually, it's got a very beautiful heart, wonderful wooden buildings. Now, unfortunately, because they are wood, there's been a lot of fires over the years, including of the wonderful cathedral. It's got the most incredible wooden-built cathedral, and that has had to be rebuilt because, unfortunately, it did burn down, but they have rebuilt it. It is one of those, I think, partly because it is wood, when you go into it, into this space, you really do feel a sense of awe and of quiet, a bit like being like the waterfall. There is something very spiritual and life-enhancing about it and reflective, and you just want to stand or sit quietly there. And really a very, very special place, you know, even for somebody who might not be into churches or cathedrals. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting city and there are areas, sometimes people have asked me, is Georgetown safe? Because there are certainly areas that perhaps you wouldn't go wandering around at night, but that applies, of course, to everywhere in the world. And you just ask your hotel to stay about, about that. But it's also got very vibrant markets, a very good food scene. It's just full of life and energy because the coast there is Caribbean. So you've got the real Caribbean influence as well. Whereas in the interior, it's local indigenous groups on the coast. It's It's got a very different flavour and very vibrant and colourful. And it's worth doing things like doing a market tour, doing a cookery class and the museums are interesting because <laughs> they are like stepping back <laughs> a few decades but have their own charm as well and i would say overall yeah guyana um georgetown is a very charming city in many ways amazing and amazing suggestions everyone i think that this is just wet my appetite for travel so much and i did want to say actually as well that this year is it's just got a lot easier didn't it to visit guyana as well there's a there's a new flight launching i believe from the uk yeah one of the reasons why we put well, guyana on our list is that we have known at Wanderlust for years just what a, a special country it is. But it was always very difficult to get there before. But as of March this year, there are new direct flights from London to Guyana to Georgetown. And so that is going to make a big difference. And what that does mean is, of course, that a, a lot of tour operators, particularly ones who specialise in wildlife, nature and local culture, they are very much looking to introduce Guyana into their programmes in 2023 and 2024. 
And so I'd say it's a, it's a terrific time to go there because you'll still be one of the first in a way. You'll still feel like a bit of a pioneer. But you'll be getting there and you'll still have an opportunity to have Kaitor Falls to yourself, for instance. Amazing. I, I absolutely love it. And I love all the suggestions here. We've gone from Australia to Europe to South America. You've covered the globe, but we've actually only covered four entries out of your 30 for the hot list of 2023. So I'm going to throw it open to you guys. Any other suggestions, anything else you'd like to pick out from, uh, from your hot list this year? Oh, this is where it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, it was agonising <laughs> doing this list, Aaron, as you can imagine. I mean, it uh, started off so long, and even now, we think, why didn't we include whatever? But there's some real gems in there, and I think one of my favourites in there, well, it's two cities, really, is uh, going to Sweden for Stockholm and Gothenburg. Now, with Stockholm, they are celebrating their 500th anniversary this year, uh, while Gothenburg, the second city of Sweden, is celebrating its 400th anniversary. Uh, Gothenburg, it's got to be said, are cheating, really, because their anniversary was actually in 2021. But they decided they couldn't really celebrate then, as uh, <laughs> everyone gets a do-over from 2021. Yeah, exactly. Nobody had parties <laughs> in 2021. Well, only naughty people. So um, Gothenburg have decided to officially have their celebrations this year. So this summer is going to be a particularly good time to visit Sweden for all these festivities. But the reason is why I love them is that, well, for a start, I think Stockholm is one of the most beautiful capitals in the world. It has got a beautiful setting on water. You know, it's over 14 islands. It's a wonderful place for getting out on boat trips, heading out indeed into the Stockholm archipelago where you've got thousands more islands. You can do kayak tours or, of course, you can just simply gaze out at the water. You get wonderful light reflections because of all that water. The old town, Gamlestan, is absolutely beautiful, this old medieval city with wonderful colours, all ochres and so on. So absolutely beautiful, very stylish and cool city as well. While Gothenburg is, of course, was once one of Europe's most important seaports. And again, it's on the coast. It's got that maritime feel. Again, it's got islands off the coast. You can go island hopping. It's got a very beautiful, very walkable city centre. And it keeps winning awards for being the world's or Europe's most sustainable city. They're very proud of that. And of course, in this day and age, well, let's face it, sustainability is more important than ever. So it's great to see Gothenburg really kind of leading the way in all that sustainability. Yeah, great suggestion. Have either of you guys been to Stockholm or Gothenburg before? Oh, I absolutely love Stockholm. I couldn't agree more with Lynn, even though we shouldn't be saying we have favourites and we've already said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all favourites. It's like your kids, right? You can't pick out a favourite. <laughs> Not publicly, anyway. You know, the reason why I love uh, Stockholm as well is for its museums. And it has, you know, I don't think many people know how many incredible world-class museums are uh, in, in Sweden. The Vasa Museum, that incredible ship from the 17th century that sank just as it left the harbour and because the, uh, the Baltic Sea has very low salinity, it was actually kept 
in a fantastic state. So it's one of these, one of the greatest museum experiences in the world, really transports you back to the maritime story of Sweden in the 17th century. And then the National Museum of Sweden as well is one of the best in Europe, in fact. And it's not just because of, um, you know, its collection of incredible connection of Scandinavian artists, but also because it tells the story of uh, painting from all over Europe. You get some incredible Rembrandts in there, which, you know, you'll be very surprised to find in, in Stockholm. Uh, the Moderna Muse Museet as well, which is the, the City's Museum of Modern Art, um, is probably the MoMA of Scandinavia, or at least that we want to style itself as that. So when you do go out to Stockholm this year, make sure you make some time for the City's wonderful museums. Yeah, great suggestion. So Rosie, you picked out uh, Estonia, of course, for us earlier. Let's stick with Europe. Anywhere else in Europe that you would recommend for people to go this year? Definitely. I mean, like George, I've also got a bit of a uh, soft spot for European cities. Um, another place I went to quite recently was Vienna. So Vienna's on our hot list this year because the Belvedere Palace, the beautiful Belvedere Palace, is celebrating its 300th anniversary in 2023. So I was lucky enough to go there. Obviously, the most famous painting there is Gustav Klimt's The Kiss, but there's just endless rooms you know you just kind of walk for hours and hours and get lost in this palace of incredible art so they have got a special exhibition on which looks into the Gustav Klimt collection there and also explores those artists that inspired him like Van Gogh and Matisse so yeah I think Vienna kind of unfairly gets a bit of a, a reputation for being a bit boring but it's just incredible and it's really a city that you can explore by foot you know literally wherever you are whichever district you're in there's just so much to see the architecture is amazing and I actually spent a lot of time in the parks there there's a lot of green space there and another reason it's on our hot list is because it's been 150 years since Vienna hosted the World's Fair. So to celebrate this anniversary, the Prater Park is getting the Panorama Vienna, which is like a 360 degree exhibition space that will replace the rotunda that caught fire uh, that hosted that World Fair. So, you know, this Prater Park is, is another recommendation of mine. It's just beautiful. Again, you can just lose hours there. It's really kind of old-fashioned. There's like an old-fashioned fairground there. Um, so definitely worth checking that out this year, uh, seeing that that new exhibition space. And obviously go to the cafes as well, <laughs> the cake and coffees. <laughs> yeah, go to the cafes, drink some wine, just soak it up. It's such a romantic city. Yeah, great suggestion. Um, so let's stick with culture, actually, because we've mentioned a couple of museums uh, in Europe, but there's another one opening in North Africa. I'm going to come to you now, George, as, uh, as the kind of Wanderlust culture uh, specialist. You're the culture vulture expert from, from Wanderlust. I know that you, you absolutely love soaking these stories up. There's a very special museum opening up in Egypt. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We're hoping it's opening up. We're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, it's been, they've been talking about it for a while. You are, of course, talking about the Grand Egyptian Museum. That is finally set to open its doors this year. We're waiting for the date. They're saying it's going to be in the first half. And what an incredible timing as well, because back in November 1922, Howard Carter made one of the biggest archaeological discoveries of the 20th century, Tutankhamun's tomb. And it is incredible that we will finally see the full collection, the full display of the artifacts found inside the tomb exhibited at the Grand Egyptian Museum once it reopens. It is said to be the biggest archaeological museum in the world, um, and there is a lot of fanfare around it. And I know there are there's a very rich uh, program of activities and festivities 
that is planned by the uh, Egyptian Culture Ministry as well. We are hoping to get the news very soon. You read about this on wonderlastmagazine.com. But there are more reasons to visit Egypt this year as well, Aaron. Um, what we're also hoping, we're going to have a, um, a date for the completion of the first high-speed railway that will be connecting the Red Sea with the Mediterranean. So it's going to be a fantastic alternative way for you to explore you know, the, the coasts of Egypt. Um, there's a lot going on there, not least incredible diving in the Red Sea. And the northern coast, the Mediterranean coast of, of Egypt is also full of archaeological and historical treasures. Alexandria is a city um, with a beautiful past, a wonderful cornice, the famed library, the modern iteration of the famed library, and some incredible food as well. I'm hoping that uh, many people will make it uh, a destination of choice. Uh, and of course, we all can't wait to get that big opening date for the Grand Egyptian Museum. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to stick with you here because I'm an expat. I live in the States and you're definitely a, a big American travel fan, George. Uh, we covered a lot in the in the magazine. I, I write for you a lot about the States as well. Uh, and we're actually going to meet up in Colorado later. So maybe we'll do an episode about that. I can't wait. My first for a your home state, Aaron. It's going to be so much fun. But there's uh, a few really interesting suggestions for people that want to visit the US this year. Uh, what, what would be one of those that you would pick out, George? There are quite a few places with loads of things happening. I'm just going to go to the capital region and I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. And it's a special year for D.C. as well. It's been 60 years since one of the most famous speeches in history were made on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial by Martin Luther King Jr., who would announce his big dream to the world. And to celebrate that anniversary, um, there are lots of different events to mark the, the occasion, including uh, newly commissioned pop-up monuments that will be erected in the summer. The date is either July or August to honor historic moments uh, in the mall's past. And then we also have the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. I don't know if you visited Aaron yet. It is moving and it, it makes you sad to be human, but it makes you proud to be human. It makes you understanding of the plight of people for, for centuries. But it also, I guess, it's one of the great things that I feel when I travel. You know, when you have experiences that are so profound that can, they can change your perception and understanding of things and situations. I can't understand how someone would visit, you know, the National Museum of African American History and Culture in DC and not leave the changed person. So it's definitely a destination I would put on the on the radar. And when you have time as well, you also, if you can make time, obviously Washington DC is full of incredible institutions. The Smithsonian, you know, obviously has a, a ton of museums. You could spend weeks there. And the National Gallery as well has a lot of really, really good exhibitions coming up. But if you can make some time for the National Women's History Museum as well, there's going to be a, an exhibition that's also going to be online on black feminists as well, which is, uh, again, a very uh, new area for us to, to go deeper into. Because if you ask me, I don't know a lot about this. So it's an area that I really want to know more about. Yeah. And I, and I will just shout out as well. One of your entries is U.S. National Parks, which is obviously a broad entry. But I think America does national parks so well. Um, there's so many great ones there. There's some anniversaries this year, the Everglades, Bryce Canyon, which is is celebrating its 100th, which is just astounding. I mean, Utah, 
has the most incredible landscapes. If you haven't been there, it will blow your mind. It's just perfect for a kind of nature and adventure lovers uh, road trip. But there's so much there, and I, uh, you know, I just think that that is a fantastic way to explore America. So before we go, I'm going to come back to you, Lynn, quickly, and let's just go around and shout out some of the trips that you're looking forward to taking this year. What's up on your horizon, Lynn? Well, funnily enough, Aaron, I'm going to Utah. Are you? uh, (laughs) I am indeed. And uh, I did visit Utah over 30 years ago. It was before the founding of the magazine. Absolutely loved it. Wanted to see more of it one day. And I'm getting that opportunity this year. So I will be dropping in on Bryce Canyon indeed. And uh, but doing a classic road trip and seeing a mixture of places I've been to before and, and new ones as well. So really looking forward to that. I'll be uh, buying my cowboy boots and Stetson, you know, to get me going. Yeah, you'll have to take some photos for the magazine for that one, Lynn, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so really looking forward to that. Um, another one on the list that I haven't been to before, but I'm looking forward to going to this year is Budapest. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've made arrangements with my family that we're going to go and have a little cheeky stay there because I really feel that's a big gap in my uh, sort of travel knowledge. And this year is the 150th anniversary of the founding of Budapest. So um, it seems like a particularly good time to go. So that's something I'm somewhere I'm planning to go. Um, and another one which I haven't been to, but it's on the list and it's intriguing me, is Herzegovina. Yes, want to go to Bosnia and Herzegovina. So it's an area which is really open up to sustainable tourism and lots of history there obviously including more recent history but also some jaw-dropping scenery and it's you know it's got wild horses i'm a horse nut so looking forward to meeting those and also exploring the wine routes of herzegovina and uh, herzegovina is one of those regions that has been making wine for centuries and centuries and centuries and they are now starting to make more of the wine they've designated Herzegovina wine trail and got official recognition of that and they are beginning to obviously promote those wines and make the wineries um, open to the public to go and visit and so that is something I'm hoping to do this year as well. What's coming up for you, Rosie? Um, I think, oh, there's so many that I haven't been to that I'd love to go to. I mean, Australia is a really obvious one that I also haven't been to. Of course, Lynn and, and George both went recently, so they've definitely inspired me to get there. And just, you know, it's got such a great mix of the nature experiences and the cultural experience as well. So I'd love to get there, you know, to see some of that wildlife for myself, to go on one of those Indigenous-led tours of the ancient rock carvings. Um, so that's definitely one of them. I think Japan, all you ever hear is great great things about Japan. Oh you know. my God, Japan. You've got to go. <laughs> there we go. That's what everyone always says all the time. <laughs> That's, That's all does. we ever hear. <laughs> um, and I think there's just so many kind of nooks and crannies in this country that are lesser known than those kind of iconic, um, well-visited spots. It's obviously so well-connected by train as well, so I'd just love to get out there um, and see parts of that country that are less visited. Uh, The islands look beautiful there as well. So that one is definitely on my list. Oh, and India as well. Um, I was actually booked to go to India before COVID. Um, I probably shouldn't be admitting this as someone who works in travel, but I got to the airport and then realised I didn't have a visa, so they just wouldn't let me go. So that trip just completely fell through. 
through. So, so I think you're doing um, Indian sure, trip. I know. I was so embarrassed. Lynn was like, Rosie, you work in travel. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> how did you manage to do that? We were so excited. Um, it was the most disappointed I've ever been in my life. Um, um, but yeah, so I'd love to go there, do that river cruise. I've got the world's longest river cruise set to open uh, between Varanti and Assam, which looks incredible. So hopefully we can make that happen this time as well. Yeah, you definitely you definitely do that one. Uh, and some great big adventures in store for you. So that's exciting. All right, George, I know that you travel a lot. What, what are, Pick out a couple. What's uh, What are you looking forward to? You know, I'm actually looking forward to spending about a month in the States. And I have a hook uh, for traveling to different locations this time. And the hook is World Heritage. So I'll be starting with San Antonio uh, and spending some time exploring the San Antonio missions there. Again, 17th, 18th, 19th century Spanish Southwest architecture. Again, a beautiful fusion of art and history, um, which, as you mentioned before, are areas um, that I, I, I love exploring when I, when I travel. Um, and then seeing a little bit of Colorado after that. Um, some of the famous landscapes but the the big thing i'm very excited about is mesa verde the national park there i don't think many people know that you get a, a world-class archaeological site that is 200 years or more older than matsu pitsu and it looks just as stunning. So I can't wait to explore and find out more about the ancient Puebloans who built those incredible palaces and towns on the cliffs. Um, and it's just also, uh, there's still a modern thriving culture. Um, so I'm hoping to visit a few reservations in the area. Aaron, I just can't wait. And I can't wait to hear your tips. Oh, it, it, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to absolutely love it. And make sure you do the balcony house tour. You, uh, you have to go with a, a guide, but you get to climb up one of the ladders and actually go into one of the, the cliff dwellings and kind of walk around. And you get a real sense of what it would have been like to live there and it's just phenomenal these these cliff dwellings and the kind of intricacy of the of the architecture architecture they actually just carved from these sheer cliff faces so yeah you're prepared to have your mind blown i'm very excited and as i said again it's one of these surprises because i don't think a lot of people know that north america is world-class archaeological sites you know but everybody knows the iconic images of machu picchu but perhaps um, you know, I, I think the majority will not have seen images of Mesa Verde. You know, it's an imposing cliff palace and it's just as incredible. So I can't wait to explore that. And then I'll finish my stay with a week um, in Hawaii, in the island of Hawaii this time. Um, which is a place I've not been before, although I've traveled extensively in the Hawaiian Islands. The big island was always the place I wanted to, you know, make sure I live and dedicate quite a significant amount of time. Um, in true Wanderlust fashion, it's not going to be a sun and sea holiday, Aaron, but instead it will be about exploring the world. Heritage listed Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, as well as the very rich and thriving native uh, Hawaiian culture. Many historic sites, um, you know, and archaeological sites found all over the island and very rich vibrant traditions and as you know uh you know native hawaiians are now very much trying to reclaim the narrative when it comes to the tourism development of the state um and that's something that we as wanderlust want to be part of um you know many people go to hawaii just for its incredible climate and its wonderful faint beaches and surf but there's so much more to it and that's an angle that i am very eager to um you know to explore and a story that we'll hopefully be telling in the future at wanderlust
Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading about that. That is a really, really important story to tell and, and one that's not written about often enough or thought about often enough with Hawaii. Well, thank you guys. Uh, my travel bug is buzzing right now. I'm sure that everyone listening is got tons of amazing ideas. So remember to subscribe to the show, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We have tons of amazing episodes and adventures and inspiration coming up for you throughout our season four and throughout 2023. And of course, you can find out more about all of these ideas by going to wanderlust.co.uk, reading about all 30 entries on the hot list. There's some incredible ones in there that we didn't have time to get to today. Um, And remember, you can sign up for the magazine too. It is beautiful. It's a keeper. It's going to sit on your coffee table for the whole year and give you uh, adventure inspiration and all that good travel stuff. So remember to do that too. Guys, thank you so much. Have fun on your travels. I look forward to hearing more about them when you come back. Well, that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. But before you dash off, make sure you hit that subscribe and like button. And that may be all we have time for today, but we do have plenty more incredible episodes coming up. So do make sure you keep an eye out for those. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time. Wanderlust Off The Page was presented by Lynn Hughes and Rosie Fitzgerald. The interviewer was Aaron Miller and the show was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry.